All right, everybody, we are all the way live. Welcome to another episode of the Break the Rules stream, BreakTheRules.tv. I'm your host, Lev Polyakov at Lefpo on Twitter. We got Paul Rossi. We got Styx Hexenhammer666 back with us for a very early morning stream. Thank you guys so much for being here. We are simultaneously streaming, by the way, on Odyssey, on DLive, on Twitch. We are all on, we are on all the networks. We are on uh, all the MP3 networks. So you could find us on Apple. You could find us on Spotify. I'm going to be posting all the links. And of course, patreon.com slash break the rules. Here is a magnet that my father is working on right now. This is the Sticks Hex and Hammer <laughs> Dragon Ouroboros magnet. So look at him go. Look at him go. So this can be yours. I mean, this is still a work in progress. This is not finished yet, but this dragon can be yours for $20 patronage. So check out patreon.com slash break the rules. Check out our past catalog. We have a lot of great streams and today is no different. So we are going to be talking about the education, not so much of the uh, government schools, but we're going to get into that as well. We are going to be talking about the education of the elites because I believe that there is an elite that there is a hierarchy at a you know any time in history and it's important for the elites to set a particular example for the rest of the people to follow and one of my biggest concerns back in 2015 has been the telltale signs that something is wrong i mean when it comes to the kind of uh, content that a lot of these younger people are absorbing you know, I mean, I'm sure we could say that in the 60s, things weren't great either with Soviet influence and so forth. But today it seems to have been um, going in a very bad direction. And I think we're already seeing some of the people who are occupying positions of power as having been people who graduated, you know, back when they were in college in 2015 and uh, the kind of things that they're already doing. So I think it's already coming into play and uh, let's just start so uh paul rossi can you tell us about your experience you were a teacher math teacher in grace high school and uh, just tell us a little bit about your particular experience and uh, what happened sure lev um i was uh, i've been teaching at grace uh, grace church since about 2012 when the new high school opened they were they had been a k through eight school and then um, opened a ninth grade, uh, opened a high school in 2012. And uh, I was a career changer. So I, I did not have a, a, a background in education until, you know, I, I got a master's in my 40s. And so I'm, um, and I was a coder. I, I had different jobs before then. Um, and over the, you know, it really, it was enlightening to to be in a classroom environment and, and teaching teaching kids because it it really kind of reframed my um, previously fairly like far left progressive beliefs um, as I watched uh, the school start to to implement various programs and um, curriculum that they called anti-racist um, in in conjunction with you know a, a sort of blossoming burgeoning DEI administrative level and how that influenced the culture of the school the children individually, their relations with each other, their, their sense of identity. Um, and of course, like so many institutions around the country, corporate and educational have reached, reached ahead in, um, in 2020, although we, we had seen some, I had seen a lot of things before that uh, with the killing of George Floyd and, and the aftermath of that. And um, this year in February, I 
uh, sort of the inciting incident to my story was that I spoke out at a, at a segregated Zoom meeting. The Zoom meeting was segregated by race. And uh, I questioned the ubiquitous uh, white supremacy culture slide, which the facilitator put on the screen in front of 200 students and, and about 40 of my colleagues. And the aftermath of that was that I was made a scapegoat um, and various administrative responses to my, to my questioning of this slide and, and the teaching in general uh, led to my ouster. And I, I won't be returning in the fall, which, which is upon us now. And there was a uh, recorded uh, conversation of you with the principal where the principal admitted that this was uh, indeed the situation that was going on. And later on, you started teaming up with other organizations like uh, FAIR, like Parents Unite, Education, Educational Liberty Alliance. So we're always wondering, like, is there going to be a pushback to a lot of this stuff? And has the pushback uh, started and has it been in any way successful People uh, say that they're uh, too far gone now, that the elites are too far gone. And uh, before I get your answer, I'm curious, uh, Sticks, living in the Sticks as you did uh, before in Vermont, now living in Amsterdam, what are some of the things that you've been noticing as far as the changes that have been going on in education in general? And don't forget to subscribe, everybody. <laughs> well, I can't say much about the Dutch educational system other than I imagine that it's not particularly woke. Uh, despite the, the diversity in certain urban areas, it just doesn't seem to be a cultural thing. And I think that might be because the United States is still trying to grapple with that largely faux cultural issue of like the post-slave debate, Jim Crow and stuff like that. And so there are a lot of people that still have a lot of guilt uh, because it's been promulgated on them, again, by rich people mainly to get into office. Uh, with critical race theory, it was definitely absent when I was in school. Uh, it wasn't a thing uh, back in the day when I was a whippersnapper, uh, and it should be absent now. I mean, um, as far as the pushback, though, it's been significant, even from abroad, looking at U.S. news and stuff like Corpus Christi, uh, their uh, school, uh, school board got completely overhauled almost instantaneously. And this has been the case in multiple states, multiple cities. Um, there's a huge uh, pushback against it. And a lot of it is being spearheaded by people who aren't white. Because you see, if, if you're non-white and you're not feeling that guilt, then you have less of a reason to not be completely skeptical of the claim. Critical race theory self-refutes multiple times. I just find it, uh, I think that the, uh, the most important thing to talk about with regards to critical race theory is the fact that it's grossly misrepresented by its proponents while its proponents then strawman the people that are against it, claiming that they're misrepresenting it. What would you say are some of the misrepresentations that you've seen? Well, uh, among the proponents of critical race theory, what happens is that they claim that it's about racial justice. But if you actually go through sort of line by line, some of the people that are big names in critical race theory, you find that's not really the case. One of the main uh, dictates of critical race theory writ large in the academic sense by some of its own academic proponents is, is undermining people like Martin Luther King, the people who actually marched for some semblance of civil rights on the basis that they didn't accomplish enough. They're not supposed, you shouldn't be peaceful. 
people shouldn't live in peace. They should be uncomfortable all the time. We get told white people are supposed to feel uncomfortable. And this by, by itself is not considered to be a racist statement. But under any understanding of yesteryear, certainly when, when I was in high school or something, if there was a political or a social movement that claimed people of a certain race should feel uncomfortable, they should feel uncomfortable because people that came before them long before they were born did something that was wrong, it would be rightfully classed as bigoted and it would be understood that way. And people would just laugh at it and brush it off. Now, uh, when it comes to separating the people who go to, uh, you know, uh, standard, you know, uh, high school, uh, public school with people who are supposed to be the ones that end up uh, ruling things. If we are talking about Grace Church, I'm not necessarily saying that, oh, sorry, Grace High School, I'm not necessarily saying that the people there are going to all be the rulers and the uh, senators and so on and so forth, but there's still going to be people of measurable influence in comparison to everybody else. Do you know what the main difference, even before we get into CRT, is between the way that a lot of these kids are taught in these more higher-end uh, institutions? Uh, Paul? Um, well, certainly there's a huge gap between just the, if you're just looking at the aggregate statistics on, on learning outcomes in, in public schools and, and some of these elite institutions. Um, what I have noticed is a consequence, um, you know, simply by some of the so DEI efforts is, is a sort of uh, move towards mediocrity, you know, not not for any reason other than simply, you know, this, I think Dick's touched on the on this sort of white guilt and this 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 poverty of, of low expectations where the you know there's a there's declining standards in, in those schools. So I don't know how long this is going to last, but certainly there is a um, there is a sense of privilege, a, a, a real sort of noblesse oblige and awareness of, of, of exactly what you're talking about in these institutions that they, you will be expected to, you know, take on positions of authority. Um, and the sort of, there's a kind of a, uh, an impl you know, a general sense that this is the case and it kind of is a self, self-fulfilling prophecy, especially since, you know, the money helps fulfill those prophecies. Um, so, yeah, there's definitely a, a real difference in culture, I would say. And, and it's felt very keenly, I, would, I should add, by students that are recruited from public schools uh, that come into these environments. I mean, they're real, they're, and some of the DEI efforts are, I think, um, you know, a good, a good faith in some ways attempt to try to fix those cultural changes. It just gets pushed through a CRT filter in a really did, you know, crippling way. Um, uh, so, I, I mean, I would, I would actually address those things slightly differently, those cultural differences within the, the private school environment, but. It is uh, interesting by the way that uh, sticks and by the way, get this book debunking critical race theory here. I am in major shill mode right now. Uh, so this is a great book. It's very short. It's like just 30 pages. And one of the things that you talked about sticks in this book is that, uh, there is a strange oxymoron happening here where people expect the government to be the one that's going yes. to be in charge of implementing a lot of these changes. And the elites that we just talked about right now, uh, Paul, those are going to be the same people who are going to remain in power. So why would they do things any different? 
Yeah, exactly. There's also a there are certain uh, institutional um, monopolies that are that are present in the public school world as well. There's this group, the National Association of Independent Schools, which is the accrediting body for or through their accreditors, they they accredit the 1,600 super elite schools around the country. These are these are boarding schools. These are day schools. These are private schools for the elite. And so and and a lot of the DEI training runs through these through this uh, association. Um, and there's nepotism. There are there are um, mentor um, protege relationships where they'll actually recruit from the student bodies of these schools. At, at large tent revival conferences. And then those become feeders into those positions, both within the schools, the DEI positions within the schools, and then also at the consultancies. So it, it, it is a kind of a, a giant blob of interconnected um, institutions that are essentially running like a kind of moral cartel. Uh, and, and it is, you know, it is a total expectation that you know everyone involved from you know the administration on down to the teachers and the students are all aligned with what are called the the anti-racist goals uh of the association um which is just you know code for crt essentially or, or crt praxis i would say was this going on in any way before we even got the term crt i mean like sticks was saying back when he was in college it wasn't really emphasized but at the same time there may have still been at least since the 60s onward a little bit of that noblesse oblige white man's burden whatever whatever the hell you want to call it just this idea that there has to be some kind of an atonement happening but it also uh at least seems to me that uh, the image that i just posted over here on twitter from uh pano parker the most dystopian image of the year award goes to the new amazon building in mexico so over here we can see a lot of these uh you know shanty towns uh, a lot of these squalid places around this monolithic building over here you know there seems to be like a lot of pollution a lot of dirt a lot of grime this is the vision of the you will live in the pod you will eat the bugs you know all that kind of thing related to the future that a lot of people online are very concerned about because they see a lot of climate related things a lot of things related to the uh recent uh, passport system that's implemented here in New York City. Again, YouTube algorithm. See, even with the YouTube algorithm, I can't really get into it uh, without, you know, without having a bit of a risk. But they see a lot more emphasis on control with something like CRT in a way almost being used as an excuse to start implementing uh, this kind of control. And they see any attempts to fight against it as being in vain, as something that, uh, you know, may exist between, let's say, yourself, Paul, Sticks, myself, you know, uh, Bayan, as you know, from uh, FAIR, you know, whose kids uh, went to the Rudolf Steiner School, I believe, the Waldorf School. He got them out of there for the same reasons. And it seems like there aren't that many people that are, uh, you know, talking about changing it. 
the fear is that there's going to be enough people that are just going to sit back, sit on their hands, do nothing, not just with these uh, recent passports, but any other kind of implementation from these people who start gaining power onwards. So, Sticks, if you had some kind of a crystal ball or if you can connect to your uh, daimon for a second that you have mm -hmm. conversations with, what kind of predictions would you be able to say are going to be happening in the future if we're not going to be strong enough to fight a lot of this stuff off. Like, let's not even talk about silver linings right now. Let's just get right down to the nitty-gritty worst possible outcome. Worst-case worst scenario. Yeah. Worst-case scenario is that critical race theory and things like it take hold in blue states, big city areas, and continue to drive a wedge between the average American and the urban elite. I think there's an easy way to solve this, which is just that the children of people... Uh, who had companies that take public money or get public subsidies of any kind or of politicians should be forced into the uh, public school system. Problem solved. And they shouldn't be allowed to have any form of, of tutoring beyond that. It should, be a, it should be a felony. If you do that, then uh, if Bush's kids and Rockefeller's kids and Soros's kids or, or great-grandkids at this point or whatever uh, have to go through a public school system, they can't homeschool, they can't tutor, they can't go to a private school, maybe they would finally care about the educational system enough to uh, get rid of some of the wokeness. But uh, to the point of uh, Paul, because Paul is in the, was in the private school, things are not necessarily uh, better over there. So how do we end up solving that problem of uh, reforming the private schools? Well, if it's a private school, ultimately I would say it matters less because the private school is a private entity. People are voluntarily signing up to, to go there, paying money usually in the process, um, they can have whatever zany things they want. It's the public schooling system that concerns me more because it's taxpayer funded. And ultimately, if a person's not wealthy enough to have a private option or homeschooling, and, and that takes time as well, not just money, um, then they have no choice but to use the public school system, which you know 90% of kids do. That desperately needs to be absent all the wokeness and nonsense. If a private school wants to be completely anti-woke and teach people that Mises is God and Ron Paul is, is Jesus Christ and stuff, that's great. People should be able to, to move to that area, send their kids to that school. If they want to teach that Chairman Mao uh, is God, go ahead and do that. If people don't want to interact with that propaganda, then they won't pay the fee, the, uh, the, uh, the tuition, and their kids won't go there. I think as long as there's a homeschooling option and school choice and the public schools are solved for, I think the rest solves itself. I ultimately, if I had kids right now, I'd be looking into homeschooling because I can't see any other option. Well, like I said earlier, before we started this, I was homeschooled from fifth grade onwards, went to acting school at the same time. And I do owe, I think, a lot to that as far as having more of a flexibility of mind than I may have otherwise had. Even I noticed like when going to college, there was a lot of pressure around me to conform to particular traditional uh, ways that a lot of uh, students went about things. But what concerns me still, though, is that, uh, like Paul was talking about, the various problems within these uh, private institutions, how much of a societal pressure is still going to be on a lot of uh, parents, a lot of uh, administrators to conform to this particular uh, paradigm right now, despite any pushback? So, Paul, what do you think is going to be happening? 
Um, I'm sorry, you're thinking specifically in the private school realm, or, or yes, or, specifically okay. in the private school realm. Yeah. Okay, so you know, I've been on. Um, I, I've I've had the the good fortune, I guess, to join some of the trainings that I've seen recently by some of these DEI consultancies, and they are openly making calculations about how many parents they can lose. I mean, they're talking about, oh, we could, we could lose 20 parents, um, 20 families. Um, if, you know, and we shouldn't treat any pushback as anything other than um, sort of a, a racist backlash, essentially. So they're, th these consultancies have such a sense of entitlement and control over the same institutions that hire them. It's 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 very strange. So they they openly talk about manipulating the board of trustees. They talk about um, they compare the parents to the to the rioters of January sixth, and how um, you know the same forces which are which are driving parents to simply ask questions about what's being taught to their children are the forces of um, the KKK. So. Um, they are completely, and that's and that's sort of dictated by the theory, right? So you know, the, everything is systemic, so you just double and triple down. But that's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing such a there, there's no compromise there. And so what I've I, I've been I've dealt with enough of these private school administrations to know that their tactics are humor the parents up to the point where they become too much of a problem, and then cut them loose. Uh, and they're you know. For this particular, and I, I understand that sympathy for the devil is, is, is not forthcoming for a lot of these very wealthy parents. And you can see, and I, and I do say that, like, you know, you're going to have to make your own school if you, if you, if you don't like what's offered. Um, but there really isn't alternatives um, to have the same cachet to get you into the, the top universities or whatever. So so in this in this very sort of greenhouse world of the elites, um, they when parents start to deviate from the the cathedral values within within those they you know they don't experience it as choice because they would have to do some serious effort um, to create a new school to, to 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 homeschool to get pods going you know all this kind of stuff. And there, it's not entirely clear that the colleges in, in their kids' applications are going to accept that. They may even see it as a sign of deviance, right? Because all of these, you know, all of these institutions are now vertically integrated to, to a degree where, um, you know, you graduate from Grace, and then you know the top schools know that you're, you know, woke weaned, that you're pre-certified, you know, with these values. And uh, but if you're but if you're homeschooled, well, we don't we don't really know, you know. It's, exactly who's teaching you or what they're teaching you. You know, we don't know. So um, there's a lot of anxiety around um, the strictures, uh, you know, ideological and, and sort of, um, I would say, status-based strictures, I would call them, around with parents having to deal with, with considering other options, which ultimately I think that they have to do because I, I, I have to disillusion a lot of parents who, who who reach out to me and say, oh, well, you know, the, the head of school has been very, has really listened to us. And I think he's a good guy. And I'm like, no, that's, you're probably getting played. Sticks, thoughts? Uh, I would think there is also another possible solution, which is to completely defund the public schooling system and privatize everything. 
Well, then if people aren't getting a return, then maybe they won't uh, make an investment. Do you think it's, sticks? I'd be like money following the child, like a voucher program, something like that. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm not actually seriously uh, commending the idea. I think that if we de-wokeify the public school system, that'll be all well and good because, we, I mean, we shouldn't be paying money to teach people lies anyway. Ultimately, I realize, though, what you're saying is true, which is the private school system is hooked up to, like, the Ivies and stuff like that more than public schools are. Um, but that's going to be a thing regardless of, of the woke thing, unless it was hyper-regulated by government and then it would rip the public, I mean, the uh, private school system apart as well. So I, I think that's one of those situations where you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. And it's better to just solve the base problem, which is the revision of history by Marxists, uh, the lies that they're trying to peddle, focus on that, realize that the private school system is going to funnel people into the upper echelons of society. There's not a whole lot that can be done about that with either deprivatizing it and thus ruining it, or at the same time, trying to exert social pressure, you're clearly not going to be able to exert without a massive cultural hegemon, which simply doesn't exist. But what does exist is a, a significant uh, backlash against the wokeness in schools, though. Um, it's huge. Uh, I mean, the legacy media wouldn't even be talking about it if it weren't, because they would rather shelve the story. They don't want to talk about some... Uh, school board getting uh, overrun by populists who then proceed to fire all the Marxists. They'll, it, it, the fact that they'll even talk about it, they'll put a spin on it and say, well, these evil right-wing extremists decide to kick out these very intellectual ivory tower dwellers, and now they've got a, a hillbilly educational system. The fact that they're even talking about it, though, shows their desperation and their fear, because otherwise their, their general thing would be, well, uh, it's not a big thing. It's not a movement at all. Don't worry about it. Because otherwise, by simply talking about it, they implant into other people's minds all around the United States and the West uh, that that's a, an actual movement. Well, that gives people some ideas. By the way, I am going to request that if you guys have any questions for the uh, later part of the show, send us your super chats, keep subscribing, so on and so forth. Now, to uh, drop the school aspect of this for a while and just talk about the cultural aspect, assuming anything that we want to have implemented ends up, oh, adorable cat, ends up not working out, we give it our best shot, it doesn't work then what happens, culturally speaking, with the so-called leaders of tomorrow? Like, I'm imagining, for example, the uh, Skull and Bones, uh, if any of you guys saw that movie, The Good Shepherd, with uh, Robert De Niro and Matt Damon, you know, they had them uh, doing all sorts of uh, blue activity within coffins and things that I doubt a lot of the uh, racially aware youth is going to look at as being appropriate today. I can imagine Skull and Bones working the way it was supposed to work back in the day. And part of me wonders, like, is there a succession of thought where you would have, like, a young George W. Bush sitting on the uh, lap of George H.W. Bush and George H.W. Bush telling him, all right, Sonny, when you become president, you're going to have to do A, B, and C. And again, I'm not saying that what he did was great, but I'm just giving an example of there being a certain patriarchal authority figure that's basically giving the gist of, okay, this is what you have to do to be the next in line to rule the world, basically. And it seems like I don't know if 
the kids that are coming out today if they're just pretending, like I'm talking about like the elite ones, if they're just pretending to be into a lot of the CRT stuff, meanwhile they are just as Machiavellian, backstabbing, whatever you want to say, in uh, private. So, uh, Paul, when it comes to the students uh, that were under your wing, did you see that they were true believers in a lot of this stuff, or did you notice that they were kind of, you know, like a wink-wink, nudge-nudge, I have to go along to get along sort of thing? Oh, that's a great question. And um, some of it, I admit, you know, I have to, full disclosure is opaque to me because I'm a teacher and then and students have their own ways of sub-communicating. And, and I, I, you know, I did have people, students that I could talk to that I felt would give me like the real deal of what was going on. And, um, you know, I, I, even with me asking them to be very conservative uh, in their estimates, I mean, they were saying that about, you know, 50% of the boys were faking it. And, but about, you know, only about 20% of the girls were faking it. So the, the gender gap is pronounced. Um, you know, when I say faking it, I don't mean entirely just completely lying. I mean, you know, they may be liberal, but they may not believe in the excesses and they're just going along and saying the stuff that they, they're expected to say. Um, as far as things like skull and bones, you know, we, that I, unless, you know, I, again, I'm just a teacher and I'm really not from that world outside of my work. So, but, you know, there may be, there may be still some vestiges of wasp, uh, you know, culture behind the scenes where there, these, these things continue to exist, even though publicly, you know, the, it, you have this completely other ideology, which is, which is like, being presented to the world. Um, but what I did notice is that the ambitious kids, um, you know, in every, in every class, there's always like the Reese Witherspoon in election, right? You know, there's the go-getters, right? The ones that are going to be joining all the things and leading the clubs. And, and what I found was that the ambitious, um, the ambitious kids, and they're always is you know, there are, there are always those kids are going to are gravitated towards the woke stuff because that was the sort of discourse avenue for them to rise to the top of the status hierarchy, right? So there, so the, the student council presidents and the, you know, the, the kids that ran the affinity groups and all that, you know, they, they were very, you know, declaratively woke, you know, in all of the things. And so they would decry the racism in the school and they would say, you know, and then we're going to issue a statement on, you know, Asian hate. And they, it, it was a, it was a way of capturing. And of course that all goes on the applications, right? So that is like a, it's like hanging a shingle for how, how plugged in you are to the values. Um, so I think that no matter what, you know, just like in the past, maybe anti-communism was sort of a way for, for that to, to manifest and whatever discourse you have, um, the kids are going to, the ambitious kids are going to gravitate towards it. I wonder though, when you said anti-communism, how much of that was in effect? Because if we look at the 1930s, for example, there's a great book I recommend everybody look up called The Red Decade by Eugene Lyons, where it talked about how in the 1930s, not that far away from where uh, Grace High School is, 
there were uh, meetings at that, uh, I don't remember the school right now, but there were all these intellectuals that were rabid Stalinists, like not just uh, communists, you mm -hmm. know, they referred to, you know, like the regular Bernie Sanders democratic socialists as social fascists, you know, because they were <laughs> not following the uh, Stalinist line. So I think that things were pretty extreme back then too, when it came to this fascination uh, that people had with this uh, alternative way of doing things, kind of like an, you know, F you dad when it comes to the kind of culture that they uh, grew up in here in the United States, which also makes me think like another argument that people bring up, that whole cycle of history thing, and I'm curious uh, what you think uh, sticks. So if I were to don the robes of somebody who was a lot more neo-reactionary, who was a lot more trad, I would say strong men create good times, Good times create weak men. Weak men create hard times. Hard times create strong men. Sticks. Where do you think we are? We are currently in when it comes to that cycle. And do you accept that cycle or do you reject that cycle? I think that in a microcosmic sense, it's definitely real. Just like the uh, cycle of government that Plato suggested. Of course, the republic that he suggests, he didn't understand that it just dumbs down each aspect of that cycle. Um, I don't believe that we're truly quite in the hard times yet, though. I think that right now we just have a shitty president in the United States and otherwise things will work themselves out. I think we're getting towards them, though. <laughs> so hopefully we'll have plenty of strong people being created. Uh, yeah, I, I think ultimately, though, the wokeness, uh, people are, are casting it off as though it's a unidirectional cultural hegemon or something like that. I see it as just fast fashion which is that it's something that right now is being talked about, just like in the 80s, you know, hardline feminism. Um, moral panics operate in the same manner. They inevitably die off because basically the reason why they're being adopted is it's exciting, it's different, it's something new uh, and edgy and it pisses your parents off or it pisses somebody else off, even if it's astroturfed by corporations and the leaders so-called of society. Um, you know, young gullible people eat it up it's corporatized, they buy the t-shirts, and then three or four years later, it's passe, and they move on to the next social issue. When it comes to these uh, waves, I agree. The one pushback that I would give, again, like, I personally don't think this is the way that it works, but for the sake of uh, combative argument here, this is what uh, we were talking about him earlier, Mencius Moldbug, a.k.a. Curtis Yarvin, uh, uh, talked about. So he has this quote, Cthulhu may swim slowly, but he only swims left. So over here, uh, within democratic societies, the Overton window of social norms will slowly but inexorably shift leftwards over time due to some deep underlying social force, which Moldbug dubs Cthulhu. So despite the flailing of right and left, eventually a modern Western culture's norms always move left. So uh, I, I would disagree on disagree. several levels. Uh, fir firstly, I would say that left and right become meaningless in the larger sense. Secondly, that's not the historical reality that we see. The United States was never further left than it was 100 years ago. The peak of, of leftoidism, as we would generally conceive of it in the overarching sense, peaked in the 1910s through the 30s in the United States, culminating with FDR being elected although his re-election was more World War II related than it was his, his social policies. Since then, we, we reverted massively in the other direction and only lately have even come to the point where, uh, where a, a sizable minority of the population even considers 
the uh, bullshit of uh, social democracy to be acceptable, let alone communism or outright socialism or something like that. The same is true in many other countries. Leftism, uh, in some cases, was most burgeoning at the dawn of the 20th century, and in many cases reverted in the other direction. There, there I mean, look at all the communist regimes that existed 60 or 70 years ago. There aren't many avowedly communist nations left. Most of them are irrelevant and dysfunctional, such as Venezuela or Cuba. Now, before you had the Soviet Union, now China, the only reason that they're even a major player is because they have a facade of outright capitalism uh, in their economy in order to actually compete with other countries. <laughs> so it's a little leftism. I, I would argue leftism is the past. It's basically a dinosaur in the age of flight, and it's actually leftism that's dying. That is the idea that states should have more power, that, that they have monarchs or oligarchies, theocracies, as a that's, that's sort of the same central planning aspect of old guard leftism. And that's being burned away over time as people are interacting more and more readily with each other. We need less government control, not more. So, oh. I, I mean, I, I think right now is a temporary stumbling block, a temporary uh, setback on the road to liberty, so to speak. Uh, so we have a couple of comments over here based on what you were talking about. But uh, even before those comments... One of the things that keeps being brought up, and I'm curious what both of you guys think, is that if we were to take, let's say, Ben Shapiro and teleport Ben Shapiro 50 years into the past and then teleport whoever he meets up with, you know, some commentator of that time, you know, 50 years into the past as well, then each time you teleport them, they would meet somebody who would be more conservative, not less conservative than them. Wherein sticks, like you are absolutely right regarding the peak of communism, like I talked about before with the Red Decade, it was definitely around that uh, era of the 30s. But as far as conservatism and the old adage, you know, what has conservatism been able to conserve? I think that's where more of this uh, pushback is coming from, where they don't really see people who, let's say, in the past would have been much more uh, active when it comes to preserving uh, culture, when it comes to not letting things go too chaotic as they see it. They see bits and pieces being given over where the conservative of, let's say, 2050 would be advocating for things that the SJW advocates today, and their position would be seen as conservative relative to whatever well, may be coming next. Well, I would argue that the left has also given up on many aspects of things. If we look at the leftoids, like the new wave left, um, which one of them is arguing for the state absorbing private property? At least outright. Um, they, I know that elements of that, like a wealth tax and stupid things like that, that'll never happen, uh, equate to that. But there aren't many of them that say, hey, yes, absolutely. I believe that if your own personal house is too big, that the state should tax you more or it's confiscated or something. It just doesn't happen. But if you went back to the 20s or the 30s, you'd find plenty of people uh, with Soviet leanings and, and so forth, Maoist leanings later, that would actually express the same thing. I'd say it depends on when on what you consider traditional and where you would like to go back to in the past based on your conservatism. Because if you were to go back, let's say you go back to the nifty 50s or something. Okay, so people have the, the fedoras and, and smoke their cigarettes and drive their Cadillacs and shit. Well, I mean, they would have considered that aspect of life with the silver screen and, and Beatles records and stuff not long after, they would have considered that very, very new and hip and exciting and non-traditional compared to like the Victorian era. 
And they consider, you can read literature from all of these eras, and they always use terms like, we're progressive. I am editing a work right now from the 1880s, and it uses the term progressive to delineate people who understand that witchcraft doesn't actually cause disease. <laughs> that was very hip, very novel at the time, because it wasn't, you know, it was barely a century prior. People were getting burned at the stake as witches in many cases. True, true. There was a comment earlier on here about how the communist regimes of a century ago, let's see, was this from, oh, this was from Le Plerome. Yeah, but the communist regimes of a century ago were pretty much far right socially compared yeah. to the current establishment and left, LOL. Sticks, thoughts, and also, Paul, I would love to hear uh, your opinions about this as well. Well, it depends on which one. Of course, if you're talking about far right in the, in the moral sense of traditionalism, you couldn't apply that to the Soviets. They overhauled and socially experimented with virtually every microscopic aspect of culture whenever possible, yeah, only tolerating the very existence of the Orthodox Church in some instances if they were to toe the line politically. Maoism certainly did the same thing, completely overhauled the manner of living for everyone in the entirety of China. Pol Pot, probably the most of all. So. This, yeah, I mean, I, yeah. I, think, I think there's there's a distinction here. Like there's the tanky sense of leftism. There's the political sense yeah. of restructuring the state and culture, which I think sticks is right that, that that's not we're not seeing that anymore. But then what I see and more happening now is the is the idea of decadence. And, um, you know, in many ways, sort of the the problem of prosperity has created a sort of a cultural leftism, of course, because of the machinations of the culture Marxist as well. Um, whereas, you know, in the Soviet, in the Soviet era, there was a, it was, yes, it was, it was very left, but it was a masculine left. And I think there's a meme that goes, that's going around, which I, which I found kind of um, interesting, which sort of shows uh, a, a Soviet era soldier and then a, a sort of a, a pink-haired, uh, he/she person in a shirt. social justice warrior. Exactly, social justice. So, where, where you know, they're both considering themselves left, but but the to the Soviet soldier, this this um, Western version is an abomination. So there is this, there is this. I think when you talk about you know um, weak men making hard times, I think um, I think this is more than a trend. I think we're kind of. Maybe I'm more pessimistic, but I think we are in this state of, um, you know, really decadence, especially with the the amount of sort of money printing and the huge global debt problem. Uh, there's a reckoning coming. There's a really big reckoning coming, um, and um, I'm not sanguine about the prospects of the current uh, hegemony that we're seeing. Uh, so I think there's going to be some major structural dislocations coming up when the wheels fall off. So you're not a fan of the new romantic movement? <laughs> what, what is that? I, I, I would love to know. If you, want, if you want to see weak, effeminate men, my goodness, you got to look to the early 80s. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. Well, you know, that's, that's funny. I think actually like, you mean like someone like Flock of Seagulls or, you know, Duran kind of Duran. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, but, but I actually see Very that as masculine being, music. I think that they were, that they were still masculine. It's just that they were performing femininity in a way. Mm. Like, like yeah. it was, it was, there were well, some things... the male feminists in all honesty. They're just trying to get, yeah. they're just trying to rape someone. So. 
Well, we could even go back further back to the Romantic period of the, uh, what was it, the uh, 1800s, if we're talking about, let's say, uh, uh, who's the, well, Mary Shelley's husband, uh, Percy Shelley, Lord Byron, you know, like Percy Shelley was very, you know, uh, asexual, you could say, and there may have been, I mean, Sticks, I don't know if this is something within your wheelhouse, possibly, because... Percy, as far as I understand, was very interested in alchemy, very interested in transmutation, where you could say, like, he even looked like this androgynous idea of a, uh, like, an Adamic man. Like, uh, so he's like the... David Bowie if David Bowie never had access to a guitar, basically. Exactly, yes. And uh, Jason Giorgiani thinks that uh, it was actually Percy Shelley who wrote Frankenstein, but wanted to attribute it to uh, Mary. And he says this because, he, uh, from what I understand, uh, Percy Shelley was the one who was mainly fascinated with a lot of these things that were brought up in Frankenstein as opposed to Mary. But that's like a whole, that's like a whole other discussion. I just want to throw... It's gender yeah. appropriation. You're trying to take her empowerment <laughs> away. Pure sexism. Yeah, I mean, maybe that's maybe that's what he wanted to do back in the day to kind of like uh, try and uh, even things out, you know, because I imagine there was a lot more sexism back then than uh, today. But anyway, going back to the uh, subject at hand, this is something that uh, people <laughs> goodbye horses. Yeah, thank you. Now I remember that that scene from uh, Silence of the Lambs. So uh, going back to our uh, original uh, original topic here. The masculinity that people see within, let's say, more tanky-oriented uh, Soviet systems, you could say that that played a role in uh, Russia, but let's say if we're talking about, like, the early 20s in Russia, especially during the period of the new economic policy, there was a bit of Weimar within the USSR. Not as much as Weimar Republic, but if we're talking about, let's say, rampant orgies and people just having, uh, you know, a lot of uh, free sex. I mean, from what I understand, Lenin got a, a venereal disease. I think he got syphilis. So everybody... He got it from fucking Karl Marx. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know he was a necrophiliac. That's, uh, that's a new one for me. But uh, either way, these people had a lot of fun after the uh, civil war in Russia, which makes sense. Like after any big conflict, like the roaring twenties, you know, you would always have a, you know, a bit of a satisfaction, but afterwards, let's say when Stalin came in and by no means am I advocating for the things that Stalin did. I think he definitely gets one of the top high scores right next to chairman Mao, as far as the amount of atrocities, uh, perpetuated by a single individual, um, but when it comes to what people seek out, when they even look like somebody, when they look at somebody like Joseph Stalin, you know, those posters of him with the medals and all this, ugh, all this toughness, you know, mm -hmm. like they look at that and then they look at the people today and what they're afraid of the most, I think, inside is if we take this definition of freedom, not just to mean freedom from uh, authoritarianism, uh, totalitarianism, but freedom from one's own desires overtaking oneself and creating just a chaotic, disorganized mess as opposed to something orderly. Where they would say, you know what, yes, Stalin, he killed a lot of people, but it, so did Mao, but at the same time, at least they were trying to establish some kind of order, while today there is no order. Like, look at that, uh, look at that garden that they were trying to build in Chaz. You know, complete disorder, nothing, nothing grew. You know, yes, they may have chopped some, uh, some blades of grass down in order to maintain a certain 
certain order, but at least that's what they were focused on. Now there is no order. Like, what would you respond to that? Who? You. Oh, I would say yes, but it's always false order and it always falls apart. It's just like Chairman Mao trying to establish order, but then saying, well, I've got a bright philosophical idea straight out of Confucius. So the sparrows eat some bits of corn from the farmers, so we're going to kill all the sparrows. And then you have a locust swarm. Well, you know, if that's uh, the nature of order, then no wonder I'm a libertarian. But in order for us to go back to, well, I wouldn't say, I mean, people always accuse me of wanting to go back to the early 90s, not a, not as opposed. I know you want to go back to the 80s. Like, what would you say is your decade? I, I want to go back to the 80s if it's music and style and like neon lights and cool cars and stuff. That sounds great. Um, I, yeah, imagine the 80s, but with really strong Wi-Fi. That sounds good to me. Let's just, let's stick ourselves in 1983 or thereabouts and then just uh, forget this progress nonsense. Paul, what about you? Which decade? I got to go with the I got to go with the 70s. Um, I just kind of like the muscle cars in that era, <laughs> you know, and. Well, we do have Jimmy Carter. president. Yeah, well. You know, uh, he can have a malaise. You know, I, I think that what's what's the saying? Speaking of Confucius, was it him or, or maybe it's the Tao where they say, you know, when the when the leaders are weak, the people are strong, something like that. That's the I don't know. Well, yeah. I, I wish that was the case. I'm not sure there are that many strong people today. And again, I am really trying to, since we don't have somebody on here who would be, let's say, more of a reactionary, I'm trying to play reactionary over here by saying that since we don't have that many strong people, the only thing that we have to look forward to to change things around would be there being some strong man to come in and set things right and in the way sticks would you say that, that is what attracted people originally to donald trump where they saw in trump somebody who would be like a model of a mussolini type strong yeah. man even though again like he's not orange hitler or anything like that but you know the idea that people had there was something that they almost you could say feel within themselves like if only we had somebody to come in here and cleanse the palate it's more like they're like well if only i had that capability but they don't want to actually take the initiative to be like that they want someone else to do it for them and you'll notice that it was a false hope donald trump did a very good job in his role as president in my opinion but he was stymied time and time again on multiple things uh, the people that didn't want to take initiative never gave him a Congress that would work with him. And so the effect was ultimately blunted. And also I had warned people during the primaries, if Trump is elected, not to expect him to be the God emperor, he's going to do a good job, but he's not going to be able to achieve everything that he's telling you he wants to achieve because he'll be blockaded. And this yeah, ended up turning out true. Short, short of having a dictatorial overthrow, like, like an actual insurrection or something, You've got to work within the system that's there and it takes incremental reform, but people don't have the patience in many cases to actually see it through. Paul, what do you think? I, I do. I, I, I agree with uh, Sticks on that one. I think you, whenever you look for a savior, it, it's because you, you, know, you lack something within yourself or you lack the community around you to create something, uh, a sense of order um, with, your, with your own people. So like uh, one of the things I... I'm encouraged by with the, these sort of local school board revolts is that um, 
I think that's the, sort of the Tea Party had the promise of this, but it got sort of captured and co-opted by GOP standard politicians. But the idea that you can create your your own local networks, create your own you know schools, homeschool pods, anything that that is a sort of a rebirth of local community organizations. Like I think that in I re, you know and there's a book I think it might have been the Big Sort. I'm not sure, but the, but where they talk about how these these organizations like Kiwanis and Lions Club, these these networks of people that would even have health insurance networks, these things were organic to communities. Freemasons. And, well, I, I don't know about them, but uh, you know, no, they do a lot of charity work. Apparently, well, to the extent, yeah, if it's if it's good, it's good. So that kind of thing is going to what ultimately I I think our salvation lies in those in in rebuilding networks outside of the traditional. Forms the pub, you know, even the, the government uh, stuff. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm, I have hope for that. I want to be as realistic as possible here, where I agree with both uh, you, Paul, and Sticks when it comes to grassroots movement being something that can potentially change a lot of things same thing with the internet having more decentralized models out there like we're on minds as well by the way break the rules is on minds.com big fan of uh, uh big fan of minds but when it comes to being realistic and saying we're going to give it our best shot it may not work the people may be too far gone either because they're too lazy too demoralized uh most people really just don't give a crap then what exactly will it take to change things if it's not like if it's not going to be us having these movements you know these uh small movements that grow over time if it's not going to be enough that parents are going into the school boards right now and trying to change things if there is going to be this dystopian technocracy that ends up uh, treating the United States like China's treating its own citizens with a social credit score. We're already seeing examples of this in Australia, by the way. Sticks, you've uh, seen that uh, piece of news, right? Like where people's social yeah. media accounts are going to be now linked to whatever uh, whatever it is that they do as far as, you know, getting a certain score based on what they say online. So if it's already part of the Western world, and by all accounts, Australia should be considered part of the Western world, the question there is, what exactly do people have and how long would it take for there to be some kind of a change there or is this something that can actually doom people to such an extent that there will be this dividing line between the elites who live in Elysium and all the little people, you know, all the Morlocks who are going to be uh, stuck inside of this cybernetic uh, uh, slavish uh, mindset? Because that's something that Nietzsche talked about. Nietzsche's prediction was that there's going to be the Ubermensch and there's going to be the people that are going to be mixed with... Uh, robotic uh you know robotic uh, tendencies you could say in the mind as well as certain augmentations but eventually the worker human bots are going to become just pure robots and we are going to have the georgia guidestones coming to life as far as it's going to be like the elites and it's going to be the robots and that's it like uh that's that's the other scenario here so i'm curious uh, what your thoughts are on that I would say that'd be definitely an interesting future. I don't think it's uh, technologically attainable. Uh, can you elaborate? 
Oh, well, I'm creating like cyborg humans that slowly degenerate into robots. I think that's definitely a sign of the times in Nietzsche's uh, mind. (laughs) I think ultimately, ultimately, I think I think I'm more optimistic, possibly than both of you, uh, because I think I think that the local pushback is growing and even the pushing by governments to do the the coronatarian thing or the CRT thing, the woke thing. In some cases, by the way, I'm, I apologize for ambulance layer, and whatever. Going by. Yeah, it's, uh, banshee sounds. Uh, someone's dying. Uh, they probably got the coof. Uh, I, I think that the backlash is growing, actually, and that there's a new sort of cultural paradigm that's slowly arising. And it's not in, in favor of or in direction of leftoidism not as we would generally understand, and it's certainly not in favor of authoritarianism. I think it, loosely it begins in the United States, at least with the Ron Paul revolution many years ago. I think since then, I think that is the origin of the backlash against what we could consider the initial rudiments of like postmodern leftism. I think it sort of begins there. Well, there is one more thing I would add to push back a little bit on this, where I wouldn't take the roboticization of the human being literally as far as people being augmented, even though that may be a possibility down the line. Let's look at it from a different perspective. Let's look at it from what already I think is going on now. We have the internet, we have the ability to gain any piece of information we want. You know, we can go to LibGen and just get tons of books on whatever we want. While at the same time, most people don't do that. Most people just end up being tuned into this feedback loop of whatever very, let's say, um, you know, low quality information, it's very attractive uh, for them to uh, engage with. Yeah, exactly. And so my my thing here is that if people are going to be stuck in this loop, aren't they already kind of becoming robots then? When the yeah, like that's like, if they're mentally robots, what's the difference? Like, we still have something that we may not have had in the past. Like, you could say in the past, people were stuck in the paradigm of, um, you know, only knowing what they know regarding gardening, regarding tilling the soil. But at the same time, their minds may have been working a lot more actively because they were focused on, okay, when is it going to rain? I have to water my crops, yada, yada, yada. Like there may have been more things that were occupying their minds, which kind of grounded them to a certain kind of reality, as opposed to right now, where it's just like this weird virtual blob like like you'd even you could even see it in the artwork that comes out you could even see it in um uh do you both of you guys know flat design no so there was an account back in the day uh called humans of flat and uh it had various examples of i think i showed it to you sticks before where people are being depicted as just like these blob like creatures with small heads and you know like like a lack of feature lack of personality like here is one example i just found it right now as um you know as, as an example oh. you'll see in the chat so like you know oh, so, yeah. something like something like this yeah so the idea being is that all personality is just being evacuated out of uh, human consciousness and we're just going to have these drone people. So if that is the case, what do you think is the cure to that? And is there even a cure to that? This is basically like my pushback again on saying people may be roboticized, but in a different way, not in the physical way. A nuclear war would work. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a compelling analogy for what's already happening. I mean, you have income inequality growing, you have uh, inflated currency, people's savings are being inflated away, asset prices are going up, there's this divergence. 
And uh, it's conditions of anxiety. And under conditions of anxiety, I think people react by taking on sort of repetitive behaviors, compulsively repetitive behaviors, needing to be in the cell. I need to hear, I need to hear what makes me feel safe. I need to look for the thing that I recognize. I need to confirm that that there's order, at least in my own thinking, because the world is chaotic and can't be trusted. And then, you know, this, this is also um, scary because, you know, it can lead to authoritarian saviors looking for, you know, great princes to come and rescue us. Uh, and um, it's, it's, but I think it's a function more of the pervasive anxiety. If you have a more, you know, tra- traditional rhythmic cycles that you are more or less reliable, then you can actually sort of relax uh, and a little bit because you, you know what you have to do. And then it can sort of create perhaps more curiosity. I don't know. That's the way I think of it. I think that some of the science bears it out. I would like to, uh, before going to Super Chats, and by the way, Sticks, it is 8 a.m. right now. How are you doing on time? How are uh, you yeah, doing I, I, I got to disconnect pretty soon here. So if we get to any Super Chats or anything questions, that'd be good. Excellent. Okay, so before we get to Super Chats, though, I have uh, one final question uh, for you, Sticks, having to do with uh, where do you see the occult playing a role in this, if any? Do you think that uh, with the advent of the internet, with the advent of people having all this information at their fingertips, there may come an interesting, uh, an interesting thing where a few people can start utilizing certain, uh, let's say, more esoteric knowledge, for lack of a better word, and be able to command it and pull off a Napoleon or pull off a, you know, you name this person. Like, I'm not necessarily sure, like, what Trump did, but uh, do you think that there's going to be a similar uh, phenomenon happening among smaller groups who just have way more knowledge? Yeah, so, I mean, well, it's already happening. Independent creators are still kicking the ass of legacy media and legacy political networks, uh, despite all odds being against them, despite having virtually every moneyed billionaire, virtually every military power and state in the world gunning for them are still winning. Uh, I would say that that's already happening, although I don't know that it's specifically a cult in most ways. The spread of information and the willingness of people to find it, it certainly, it, it separates the weed from the shape. That's what I would say. Definitely. And uh, Paul, any thoughts on that at all? I have no idea if you are into the occult or not, but you are in mathematics. And mathematics, I think, especially with something like Kabbalah, has always been uh, you know, going hand in hand with the occult. Um, yeah, I, I think there is a kind of in- intuition, a kind of uh, uh, some sort of divine intuition. I'm really not familiar with the occult, but I think that there are, there are ways that the that the mind makes makes sense of things where you know it, it's it's not a logical process it's more of a divination and i think that people definitely need you know it's 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 important for me to be in touch with that it's important for for everyone who's a, a you know a soulful human being to be in touch with that excellent on to Super Chats. And everybody, please be sure to subscribe, subscribe, and keep subscribing, share, and add a like. I never say to add a like, so I'm saying it right now. Keep adding those likes. Anyway, first Super Chat, Jacob Wells, $5 for Tarl. I teach collegiate English and raise my little brother. This other guy's credibility is shot. Raise your own family, not someone else's. So I asked Jacob Wells if he can elaborate on what exactly he means by this, because from what I understand, like, Paul, you have great credibility. I'm not sure what this guy's getting at, but uh, any thoughts? 
Uh, he, he might he might be just comparing homeschool to private school. Like some people see private school as maybe the, the public alternative. And I guess maybe he's encouraging people just to homeschool. I'm not 100 sure. Maybe. I have no idea. But uh, either way, next Super Chat, we have Joe Undead Cookie Monster, 499. <laughs> Thoughts on the fourth turning? Uh, none. That's ban Is that Steve Bannon's thing? Is that no, no, no. Fourth, fourth turning. It's actually a pretty old book. I think it okay. was written. Uh, let's see, back in the seventies. Let's see, it's over the Strauss Howe generational theory, according to. Okay, so uh, it describes. Oh, I, I, I'm aware of Strauss Howe. I wasn't aware of the uh, the title of the book. Yeah. So what yeah, do you so, think? So the idea is we're going through the fourth generational cycle in the United States. Yeah, I mean it does line up pretty well. I guess you get these four generations and the idea is that each one has different characteristics and it's about like 20-ish years per generation. Uh, and so it's cycling around to the fourth generational sort of cycle, I suppose. Is that like the Kali Yuga? And, um, in no, this is, more, this is more sociological in nature. It's just the different, like, like one generation affects the next. And so mm -hmm. it tends to follow roughly a, a four-stage cycle roughly every 80-ish years. Okay. And it kind of circles back in itself, kind of a yeah, it viral replicates thing. replicates over and over again. Although I don't, I don't think there's any exact date and timing for each generation. You know, it's, there's some wiggle room involved, I guess. Interesting. <clears throat> Greg Marat, 799. As symptom, entrepreneurs, artists, and high-achieving students cluster around trade openness. Could this explain the manifestation of CRT edifice. Uh, I have no clue what they're you mean, referring to. <laughs> it's trait. Is it trait openness or trade uh, openness? Tra trait. T R A I T. Oh, okay. uh, I think maybe initially in the postmodern phase, but what's happened now is it's become uh, the opposite of openness. It's become a sort of a rich, a ritualistic set of beliefs, and people are re reading off the same script. I think. In, in the in the academic circles where you know you're even then actually i think it's it's devolved into a, into the opposite of openness but you know i think in the 80s and 90s i think there was definitely a lot of trade openness gravit people gravitating towards it um it's hard to say but yeah that's my sense excellent and uh, finally we have finn castle underground 2 Twenty dollars. Thank you so much, Finn Castle. In my town in rural Vermont, oh, maybe a neighbor of yours, Dex. Uh, <laughs> there are normally three kindergarten classes per year. Now we only have one. People are homeschooling and disentangling from the system. The strong are quietly operating underground. So yeah, I, well, first I think he said Virginia, not Vermont, actually. VA. Oh, VA. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's yeah. Okay, no, so okay, a little, fine. a little distance <laughs> away from there. Um, yeah, I, I would say definitely people will take up the slack when they need to, and so there is sort of a quasi meritocracy that goes on, which is in, in families where there's at least some degree of, of intellectual capability to do so, they'll they'll pick up the slack for the nonsense in a public school usually. So. And uh, that is my hope, too, like regarding the uh, past conversation where I was trying to go for a more uh, neo-reactionary <clears throat> stance here. 
what I think ends up falling apart for me when it comes to the conclusion of a lot of these stances is that if there is going to be some kind of a leader who comes in, then they eventually are going to get uh, corrupted uh, by uh, time, if not corrupted from the very beginning. And it's only going to create a more, uh, you know, a situation that people you know, rarely are able to disentangle themselves from, you know, people complain about CRT today, try disentangling yourself from the kind of state where people are getting locked up for criticizing the leader. That is not something that any of the people who advocate for it uh, would actually want to be in it. Again, I think a lot of them think that they're going to be the ones who are going to be in the inner party, they're going to be the ones who are calling the shots. Rarely, in my experience, would that actually happen that way, but I think there is a certain kind of fire in the belly energy that people see within certain leaders that they may want for themselves or they may want to at least be represented in the uh, open so that that energy could spread across to other people. And I think that people are seeing a very low energy society today in the various classes that we have. So with that, any final thoughts on uh, anything you guys want to touch on before, uh, before we go? Remember Sticks. that critical yeah. race theory is a total failure. That's all I would uh, remind people of. Always, always run for local office, look into local civics and try to do it yourself because the government won't do it for you. Excellent. Paul. I would say I agree with that. And I would also say if you're a student um, at, at a public or private school, um, remember that you have the sovereign right to define your own individuality as you see fit. Do not let anyone else tell you who you are, what you are, what you have to ascribe to, no matter how emotionally manipulative they are. Um, maintain your cognitive liberty. Excellent. And uh, with that, final plugs. Twitter.com slash Paul D. Rossi, R-O-S-S-I. Guys, please follow Paul on Twitter. Please support Paul. Thank you so much, Paul, for coming in and talking uh, about all this uh, stuff with us. Of course, if you guys are not following Sticks on Twitter, I don't know what you're doing. One of the best shit posters on Twitter, bar none. So, guys, please follow uh, Sticks on Twitter, although you probably already are. And, of course, subscribe to Sticks' YouTube channel. It would be very strange if there was somebody here who was not already subscribed to Sticks' YouTube channel. But I'm sure that there are some of you guys out there, some of you people who are not subscribed to Break the Rules. What are you doing? you're watching the stream and you're not subscribed to us what what's going on this is no good subscribe to break the rules right now you can go to breaktherules.tv if you're listening to the audio version of this if you're listening on DLive, if you're listening on twitch and of course patreon.com wait before patreon.com check this out this is Stix's debunking critical race theory book 2021 get this book i'm adding the amazon link into the chat right now it is a great read i would suggest you buy it in bulk and then just leave it around college campuses that should be <laughs> that should be the strategy and of course follow me on twitter twitter.com slash levpo l-e-v-p-o and lastly but not leastly let me just grab this um all right this is the prototype of the Styx Hexenhammer magnet over here. See, we have the dragon over here, the dragon Ouroboros. Now, this is just one layer over here. This is going to be a uh, carved out multi-layer 
magnet fridge refrigerator magnet this can be yours if you go to patreon.com slash break the rules become a 20 dollar patron and mention that stick sent you or you got here from the stick stream and we need your help to grow btr needs your help to grow we are a small channel but it's been growing since uh last uh since may of 2020 from 300 subscribers we are now at 6,000, and uh, i don't know how many subscribers but the point is is that we are small the algorithms are going to be against us so it is up for us to unite to grow and to keep having these conversations that are going to uplift us to another level so once again sticks thank you so much for coming in paul thank you so much for coming in patreon.com slash break the rules go there or be square and we are also going to have adam krigler on who you guys probably know from uh tim pool's uh show Adam Krigler is going to be joining us this Thursday. Here is the link to the Adam Krigler uh, episode. Be sure to subscribe. You're going to see it after the stream is over as well. So be sure to uh, do a reminder thing there. Click the bell. All that good stuff. We're going to have a lot of great episodes coming on. Sticks is going to be back October uh, versus Joel Davis who is much more authoritarian. I am not going to be able to be as, and thankfully I'm not going to have to be as authoritarian for that stream. I'm just going to sit back and uh, eat some popcorn and stuff. So anyway, guys, this is the end of the stream. Thank you so much for watching. Subscribe. Thank you guys so much. Good night, everybody.